Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, a Georgia rail worker joins to talk about the tentative agreement that they've got. And did the newly elected school board member call all rank-and-file Republicans parasites? The answer to that question is no. Selma City workers, Lowndes County workers are on strike. Alabama prisoners could be next. And more on today's program. If you want to be part of the program, we've got a phone number and the line is open. You can call or text 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also leave a voicemail throughout the week, and we might play it on the next uh, program and answer your question. If you have a, uh, uh, if you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us online. We are anywhere you find anything online: Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Wherever you find your podcasts, newly on TikTok, all at The Valley Labor Report. Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. If you want to become a sustaining member of the program, make a one-time donation, or buy our new hat, you can go to our website, tvlr.fm, or become a patron at patreon.com slash thevalleylaborreport. We've also got these cool new Shirts that say join a union or the boss will get you based on the I-65 sign near Montgomery. It's very, very cool. Uh, we have we sold one order of those shirts already. If you would like to be on the next order, then go to our website, tvlr.fm, and fill out the contact form and request to be put on a list to be notified of our next drop. Also, if you're a member of a union, you should get your local to sponsor the show. Reach out to me for more details on that. So, folks, I'm going to uh, let you peek behind the curtain just a bit. We have, uh, we're having some technical difficulties. There are some gremlins in the lines this morning, and we are not able, we have been so far unable to monitor the, um, anything from our, uh, uh, from our computer. So... I'm not sure how we're going to be able to pull in our guest, but uh, what we might do, I know it's a little bit early for an ad break, um, but Adam, Ben, how about we go ahead and go to our first break, 
and see if we can't get something figured out in those three to four minutes. What do you think, guys? Sounds like a plan. Okay. We're going to go to a break. We will be right back. Hopefully, we can kick out all those gremlins. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. IBW 558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know about how viable clean and renewable energy is. To that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to more than thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state. We're working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about our work and how you can join us at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? 
If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAT. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old days Join a union or the boss will get you. This is the Valley Labor Report, Alabama's only union talk radio show. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. We appreciate your patience as we try to work out some of these gremlins. We haven't got the gremlins out of the wires, but we have a workaround for today. We hope. (laughs) We hope. We hope. Um, So we've got a workaround for today, I believe. And um, we've got our first guest on the line. His name is Hugh Sawyer Jr. He is a locomotive engineer on Norfolk Southern Railroad, working primarily on the main line between Atlanta and Chattanooga. He's a member of the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, Division 316, which is a Teamsters affiliate. He's a rank-and-file member right now as he winds down to retirement, but he has served the membership in the past as local chairman, president, and legislative representative. He's also a member of Railroad Workers United, an interunion cross craft solidarity caucus of railroad workers and their supporters from all crafts all carriers and all unions across north america he's also our next guest hugh thank you for taking the time to talk to us i appreciate it Uh, good morning jacob glad to be here good morning good morning it's good to have you here so last week we spoke to Jonah Furman, staff writer and organizer at Labor Notes. I believe you're familiar with him about the general rail situation. Uh, but this week, I wanted to talk to a rail worker to maybe give folks more of a personal understanding about what's going on on the rails. Um, so before we get to some of the, uh, you know, some of the issues that y'all have been having, Hugh, you told me that you've been working on the rails for 34 years now. Um, and that it hasn't always been this bad. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, now, the rail uh, crafts, you know, the operating crafts, we've always been a 24-7 operation. and uh, But we've had enough extra board people, generally speaking, uh, uh, to ensure that um, everybody can be off, uh, not necessarily when they want to be off, but be off a reasonable amount of time, perhaps. And that, that they have been tightening the screws on us for the last several years. And uh, during the pandemic, they chose, they used as an excuse to lay off, furlough more people who, to their surprise, did not come back when they were called back. So uh, uh, that's really left them in a lurch. And uh, 
And I, and I have to say, uh, as proof, there's a lot of people with 10, 15, even 20 years seniority who have been leaving the industry, abandoning their railroad retirement and uh, or going to Amtrak, perhaps, you know, to keep, keep it. But but they're getting away from the freight rail industry. It's just driving everybody insane. Switching careers 15 to 20 years in is very, very difficult. Uh that like that doesn't seem like a normal thing to uh, to to have to do, and that's not something that that's that's been happening. Usually, uh, or, or in the past, the rail has been a um, has been a career that you keep till retirement, right? That's that's exactly correct. And uh, uh, you know, we we had uh, um, uh, good living wages. Keep in mind the wages uh, that we make involve essentially sacrificing our family lifetime to a large extent. And that's why we were always highly paid in the past. But that's in the past, and we haven't been highly paid in quite a while. At best, I think these last several agreements have we've just treaded water with inflation, and and even this agreement does nothing but tread water. Uh, uh, with regard to uh, inflation. And uh, it, it's a heck of a decision to make that I've had enough. The pandemic set something off in people. It, it made them realize there's a life other than work and that, that the quality time with their family is, I think, become much more important to a, a lot of people. I, I don't know what it is about the pandemic, but it's woken workers up. Yeah, I, I think so, and I think that that is that's such a, a good thing for people to realize that you know dreaming of labor is maybe not <laughs> is 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 not everything that it's cracked up to be, and and that maybe sponsoring your family your whole life, going to work every single day, you know maybe maybe that's not not the best way to live, and and so I'm. Um, you know, I'm happy to see so many people uh, standing up for themselves and 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 fighting back. Um, could you talk to us a, a little bit more about what the situation was like when you started um, when you started on the rails 34 years ago? Well, I have to say that uh, I started uh, in 1989. I was a six member as a trainee, a switchman trainee. I was a sixth member of a crew on, on one tiny butthead. We had an engineer, a fireman, a yard foreman, two helpers, and then myself. Wow. That's all gone. We're down to two men on a crew. Um, and, uh, um, and, and they're trying desperately to make it a one man crew. And the UTU was able to stave that off, uh, um, this go around at least right away. But, it, it, it's still going to be a fight property by property. No doubt. So, no anyway, doubt. I, what I, about that? That is, I mean, even just that is a huge, a huge difference. Six person crews down to now we're at two man crews. And the, the things that you are being the crews of are now significantly larger, longer, and, and more dangerous, you know, I mean, you weren't having four mile long trains in, in 89, right? That, that is correct. Uh, uh, we were limited to 150 cars and, uh, and the trains that were 150 cars long, you know, was not an often, you know, occurrence. A coal train back when I started out was 90 car lengths long. Now it's 147. Wow. Incredible wow. tonnage. So, is, is there any point in your mind that sticks out, over, uh, you know, since 89, where something happened 
and you were like, oh, wow, things are things are really changing for the worse here? Um, we had a and I'm going to say this is 10, 15 years ago. Things really started to change when I went to work and I work on Norfolk Southern. Everything was geared to moving freight. We were a transportation company. And then, then we became worried about winning this Harriman Award, which is a safety award. And I'll always remember a super, superintendent of Edmund Yard telling us one day, he didn't care if we moved one boxcar as long as nobody got hurt. And um, so that, that was the antithesis of how it was when I first came to work. But there, over the years, and particularly in the last 15, I'm going to say, there's been an anti-labor, almost a hatred by management for us. I don't know why. We're the guys that earned the freight. We're, we're, we're a pittance in cost compared to the profits, the record profits these guys have made, even through the Great Recession and such. And it's been record profits quarter after quarter up till now. And yet, we're the enemy. Some, and I don't know why. Uh, you would think as you go to fewer and fewer people trying to move more and more freight, you would want to treat those people well. But that's, you know, there's some business philosophy that, that we're just going to grind everybody, you know, to dust and in, in making profits for our shareholders. And, and that's not a good long-term strategy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely not. Uh, and, and I don't understand. Well, you know, it, it, I don't understand what I can understand the bosses seeing that because I, I think that, that bosses are, um, you know, you know, it's funny. I, I was watching this, this, um, this conservative talk radio program at one point and they were going on about how how humble eric trump is unlike all the other small business people who like to fly per, uh, first class or whatever but oh you know trump was flying business class eric trump was isn't he so down to earth and <laughs> and you know i think that that really encapsulates the that there is something that that i think poisons your mind when you get into these you know uh uh business type environments that poisons your mind makes you think that you're better than other people but what i don't understand is that that other folks fall for it right we've got people uh you know we we just played last week on the show ben shapiro saying that that um y'all got the whole store in this tentative agreement uh that oh my <laughs> was, god what a joke yeah it's a joke, and, and he was saying that wow, they got the whole score, they got the whole store, and and there are people that believe that. There are people that listen to him that think, wow, yeah, the rail workers, they're spoiled and they're entitled, and and they don't deserve what they get, and just just normal working people believe. And I don't understand it, it. I can't understand that mindset of of other people. I can understand it from bosses because it's in their interest, but I can't understand it from other people. Well, and the other people are working five days a week. They have a weekend and, you know, they're perfectly right. happy in their little pathetic lives. They, and because <laughs> they don't know, uh, um, you know, the whole story about the railroad, you know, in a 24 seven environment, when you're on call 24 seven, as I am at, with 35 years seniority, I'm 34 years seniority. I'm working on, I'm waiting on a call right now. Uh, uh, right. to go to work and I'll be up tonight 
uh, I'll take an unknown amount of rest in Chattanooga, and then I'll have to come back and do it again. And I'm doing it on the weekends. I'm doing it on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, uh, you know, and above all, I'm doing it often at nighttime, which I can't stand. But uh, uh, that's what that's what you're paying for, except you're not really paying anything, you know. And you don't have to believe me. Let's just watch when if this agreement passes or gets imposed on us. Let's just see how many people leave the industry thereafter. I think there's a lot of people waiting on a back paid check, and then they're out of here. Right, particularly right. the younger well people. so you, you know you went into it some there with the uh you know you're on call right now right now if you get a call right. you've got to say jake i've got to go i got to get on the railroads that's what we actually we we initially had you scheduled for 10 15 and we were right. like well we'll go ahead and bring him in first because he's on call and he might have to leave and maybe he's going to be gone by 10 15 and you were on call yesterday and you uh uh and then you got on you have been on call since i believe 5 a.m this morning and you were on the road late last night and then you're going to be like you said on the road tonight and it's just and 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 you're on call thanksgiving and all these holidays talk to us some more about what it's been like these last several years when you had to go to the doctor when if you wanted to be with your family stuff like that Okay, so I'm I'm at the high end of the seniority roster, and uh, so I can manipulate. I have to bid in a job every single week, and um, and because I have the seniority, I can bid from one job to other. That's what I did last week. I was actually on a road switcher with a schedule yesterday. I got off at eight o'clock last night. I went to a pool job at twelve o'clock a.m. I was rested at 7 a.m. and I'm either first or second out right now, waiting on a call. But uh, um, but I so I can manipulate that bidding system to get off days when I need them uh, for doctor's appointment. But anybody below me, you know, go just a little bit below me, they don't have that luxury. They don't stand to move around like I do. So for most people. They're stuck on their job, and they, and you can't. Okay, we have personal leave days. Oh, that's oh, these guys got paid personal leave day. These are days that we're given in lieu of holiday. We don't get holiday pay. If I come to work on Thanksgiving Day or Christmas Day or July Fourth, I don't get extra money for that. Uh, uh, you know, there's no holiday pay. Now in the yard, they get holiday pay. So in lieu of that, I have thirteen. Uh, personal leave days that I'm supposed to be able to take when I want to take them. What really happens is I have to put in a request um, 48 hours at least in advance to be off, and then uh, um, somebody has to approve that. And it's often not approved. They look at their slots, if you will, and say, oh, somebody else is going to be off. We're not going to let Hugh Sawyer off. And so, you know, and often they don't respond. Even when you put in these requests months in advance, they don't respond months in advance. They, you know, it's a last second thing and you got to call people up and try to get an approval. And, uh, and it's just driving everybody's insane. Um, right. You know, particularly the young married, you know, Last week, the TA was out, uh, but nobody had seen the language yet. We had seen some press releases from some of the unions, from from Biden saying that, oh, you know, look at how great this is, uh, from Ben Shapiro saying that you got the whole store right, but nobody, nobody had seen the actual language, the contract language, and it's out now. Now people have seen it. Hugh, 
What is actually in the, the agreement? How does it comport to what we were told last week in generalities? Um, and, and what are some things that stick out to you? Well, all the rumors that we heard, I think, uh, you know, from our standpoint, my standpoint, have come true. And uh, I, I, I don't think Ben Shapiro knows how to read because he obviously did not read the Presidential Emergency Board. Uh, paper. If he had, he'd know we didn't get the whole enchilada, so to speak. If you'll remember, uh, I think the unions, you know, the, the rank and file were really pushing the unions on scheduled off days and such. And uh, we have allegedly made progress in that. In this agreement, they're going to assign everybody, poolmen, extra boards, everybody are going to be assigned off days. Okay. Locally, I already have that. And the way that works is, okay, I'm, I'm going to be off Tuesday and Wednesday of, of uh, this upcoming week on the pool job they gave me. Those are assigned off days. And re the reality is I'm going to go out Saturday, come back Sunday, go out Monday, probably Monday evening, and come back either Tuesday or Wednesday, probably Wednesday morning I'll be back. And that's my second off day. And uh, so I can't schedule. I can't sit there and say, hey, I'm off Tuesday and Wednesday. I'm going to schedule things for that. I have to sit there and say, nope. I may not be back. Now, they'll give me 48 hours off once I get back, but those weren't scheduled, right? So, uh, uh, um, but I will say that younger guys, you know, the extra boards and what have you had no scheduled off days are thrilled with the thought of, of getting them. Um, but we got, there was, you know, uh, the, the holdup was allegedly over six days. There are no sick days in this agreement that I have found. Uh, uh, if I'm on a board that, that has no scheduled off days, and keep in mind, this agreement establishes that essentially everybody will be on some sort of board with so-called off days, assigned off days. Um, but if, I, if there is a board that doesn't have assigned off days, if they make a doctor's appointment 30 days or more in advance on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, the carriers, as I understand it, will be obligated to let you off for that and have you in place to be off for that. Uh, um, for three incidences, up to three incidences a year is how they put it. Well, that's not a sick day. Right. Uh, we have addressed nothing about when I mark off sick on the weekend and I go to the urgent care and I'm sick, I've got the flu. If I'm off in 90 days, if I'm off more than one weekend day, that's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, uh, uh, um, if I'm off for more than one calendar day, I will be put into the attendance program at Norfolk Southern. And, uh, if I had, and they, they literally tell you, we don't care that you have a doctor's note that you actually went to the doctor. You actually had the flu. We don't care. That's insanity. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and we have not addressed that. There are no sick days in this agreement. And uh, no, no way for me to do anything but call down there and say, I'm sick, and then deal with the consequences after the fact. If, if I'm hospitalized now in this agreement, if I'm hospitalized uh, uh, or admitted to a hospital, then, yeah, they won't count that against me. But, you know, who gets hospitalized for the flu or right. for COVID, for that matter? Yeah, wow. So if you're having a heart attack, maybe they won't discipline you if you're nice. That is correct. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> you know, just, so, it's just so, so crazy. That's so far from, 
from from what's right and i think what what most people you know um from what most people would expect rail workers to to get and from what most people expect from their employer um it it, it's just it's difficult to um you know, it's difficult to really fathom. And the doctor's appointment stuff, I understand that that has to be on a – doesn't it have to be on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, and it has to be scheduled th- uh, 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 30 days in advance? Isn't it something like you, there's several hoops yep. that you have to jump through to get through – to get to, – to be able to use these days? At least 30 days in advance. Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday – as long as those aren't holidays, you know, as long as a holiday doesn't fall on that. So in reality, it's not solving the problem for most people. And I just told you how I had doctor's appointments uh, uh, earlier this week, and I, I was able to move, you know, manipulate the system to create off days for myself, but most people cannot do that. So, and uh, I don't think uh, uh, the, the, the number one thing here that has upset the workers, I don't know if the unions really got a handle of this or not, is the way we're treated. That above all issues, which is not addressed. Uh, uh, um, and now we're going and scheduling. Now we're going to self-sustaining pools. Uh, uh, that's where the pools protect themselves. When I mark off on my pool job right now, they have an extra board engineer that will fill it. They'll send that job out. And uh, with an extra board engineer, which is what the extra board exists for, by the way, when the regular man marks off that guy, you know, there's somebody in place to take my place. Um, That's eliminated. Uh, uh, My job will just go to the bottom of that pool. And uh, the next guy who was second out will now be first out. If you have three or four people, if you're eight times out and you have three or four people that mark off for whatever reasons, uh, uh, all of a sudden you think you're eight times out. Hey, I might have time to go to the grocery store or do this or that. Whoops. Now you're first out and, uh, 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 getting called. And, uh, the people that have these chain gangs, that's what they're called in railroad slang. Uh, the, the people that are subjected to them right now are adamant that you do not want this. And that's fine. That's, that's subject, that, that, that's subject on property negotiation, but they can do it. And we've agreed to go quickly to, finding arbitration if the general committees can't reach an agreement with the carriers. So how, how, how do you think that workers are responding to this? What is, what is your, um, what, what's, what's your feel of the pulse among the membership? Do you think that they'll vote this down? I'm surprised. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of anger out there, but and, and keep in mind, the union leadership's going to be out there pushing this agreement, saying this is the best you're going to get, guys. And uh, sadly, it might be right, because uh, um, when by the time we vote on this, which I think uh, uh, the vote will be in by November 15th, after the midterm elections, after uh, at least in the BLE, the national leadership elections, uh, uh, there'll be a vote. If we vote no, okay, then we can go uh, uh, potentially go on strike. But who's going to negotiate a better agreement? Congress will step in, and typically they impose the Presidential Emergency Board recommendations. Uh, um, and, and, and I want to remind everybody that on January 2nd, current wisdom is, is that the Republicans are going to take the House back. 
So uh, do you want them impose? They might impose the carrier's desires for all you know, we know. And uh, uh, so that, that's the thing. Yeah, there's a lot of anger out there. And I think there's a lot of people planning on voting no. Um, we'll just have to see. But, but for the next two months, we're going to be subjected to you better vote for this. You know, the fear factor. Uh, right. You got a bird in hand versus what, you, you know, if, if you vote no. So it's, it's you know, I'm supposed to say everybody's fired up and they are. They, they're, they're very angry over this agreement. They can't believe that nothing that we were angry, the rank and file were angry about. It's really been addressed in here. And, uh, um, but, you know, they're going to be worked over for at least two months to vote for this thing. So we'll see. As folks are, as they're being worked over, you know, presumably by people in the bargaining committee, I did, I did see that there was, there was one, there was one, I think it was the machinists had mentioned in their release that two of the bargaining unit commit, uh, two of the bargaining committee members voted no, voted against recommending it to the membership. So I thought that was interesting. Um, but you know, as, as people are trying to cajole them to vote, yes, is Railroad Workers United going to be, is there going to be an official vote no campaign from Railroad Workers United or this other group that, that's emerged, uh, Rail Labor Unite, who did some informational picketing last week? I think so. Um, uh, all indications are that we are going to launch a vote no campaign. You know, we've been waiting on a tentative agreement, which was just fallen into our hands and everybody's hands. And uh, we're not going to wait on the Q&A. What's the point of waiting on the question and answer part of it done by general chairman and the national? Uh, um, um, we're, we're, we're weighing the consensus out there, and then we're going to support the rank and file workers and um, their decision, uh, which I think right now, I, I have to say, I mean, <laughs> uh, the sentiment out there is vote no. Well, Hugh, I hope you'll keep us in the loop. I hope you keep us uh, up to date. It was great talking to you. Appreciate your time while you're on call uh, over there in Georgia. Um, thank you very much. Keep up the fight, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Okay, Jacob. Thanks for having me on. All right, brother. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right. So, again, that was Hugh Sawyer, Jr., Hugh Sawyer Jr., locomotive engineer on Norfolk Southern Railroad, working primarily on the main line between Atlanta and Chattanooga, member of the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, Division 316, a Teamsters affiliate, a rank-and-file member, and a member of Railroad Workers United, an interunion cross-craft solidarity caucus of railroad workers. We're going to keep in touch with him and uh, see where things go, folks. Uh, that, um, Yeah, we'll... <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say, but see where things go. It's amazing, you know, the things that working folk have to put up with. Um, it, it really, really is. Uh, and, you know, speaking of, speaking of things that working folk have to put up with, uh, three departments with the city of Selma went on strike Wednesday morning. Three departments with the city of Selma went on strike Wednesday morning, those being the cemetery, public works, and recreation departments. The cemetery department ended their strike on Thursday morning, but as far as I can tell, the other two are still on strike as of this morning, Saturday morning. Um, so here's what. What did they go on strike for, these people working for the city 
in Selma, Alabama. From the Selma Times Journal, the city of Selma Public Works Department went on strike Wednesday because of a lack of pay raise to $12 an hour. Amazing. A minimum wage of $12 an hour with a higher minimum wage of $16 an hour for heavy-duty equipment operators. That's the things that working people have to fight for is really just disgusting. The Selma Times Journal quoted a city councilman irate at the idea that the workers were not happy with the proposed raise of $11 to $11 an hour. Wow. You'll make... They're asking for 12. We'll give you 11 and you should be happy about it. They're currently working for nine. Mm. $9 an hour. That's insane. The Selma Sun quotes a worker talking about the wages she receives now. Quote, $9 an hour. That's not enough to take care of four kids in the current economy that we have. I don't see how $9 is enough to take care of uh, an individual person, much less a right. kid, much less four kids. Right. $9 an hour. That's not enough to take care of four kids in the current economy that we have. Landfill Secretary LaShawn Edwards uh, told Alabama News Network. This is just really, really a, a really astounding story coming out of Selma uh, last week. We tried to solicit... Um, see if anybody on Twitter that, that follows us knew any of these people. We couldn't get any contacts. But if you know these folks, uh, would love to talk to them about what they're going through, see how we can support them. Um, but, but man, it, it's, what, it's amazing the, what they're having to fight for, but also the response. I told you about the city council person, but also listen to this. The Selma Times Journal asked a local boss, okay, for, who cares what he thinks, right? I don't care. But the Selma Times Journal asked a local boss what he thought about these workers who are making $9 an hour asking for more. Quote, Snow's cleaning service owner, a cleaning service, wonder what he pays his workers. LaMarcus A. Snow encourages the city council to stand its ground. Selma City Council doesn't need to be bullied by this gesture. Wow. Jeez, man. Does so the, the workers who are striking <laughs> to go from $9 an hour to $12 an hour. They're bullying the politicians. They're Adam. bullying the public officials. They're canceling them. They're canceling them. I mean, that's just crazy. It's crazy that these people are willing to say these things out loud in the press. Yeah, I'm curious why they felt the need to interview this guy. Like, breaking news, a capitalist likes to make money. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I I don't I that's just This just in bosses don't like it when workers strike. It's bizarre. It is a bizarre thing. So, you know, there's difficulty in keeping track of stuff like this. Um in preparing for this segment, I came across another strike by public employees in Alabama that I had not heard about. This time by Lowndes County Highway Department workers striking for a three dollars and three dollar an hour raise, um, I, I and I could I can't find any more context on that. Um, nothing that I that I could find gave me any more context to that dispute, uh, nor could I find an update to that strike, which began on September fourteenth. 
So Lowndes County Highway Department workers went on strike on September the 14th, a week and a half ago, and I, 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 I can't find any update on it anywhere online. Um, is it still going? Did it get resolved? Did they get the raise? Were they fired? I, I have no idea. I have no idea. It's not easily accessible. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to try to keep track of the Selma strike. Maybe see if we can figure out what the resolution, because I was, I, I just, you know, I was preparing this yesterday, and that yesterday is when I came across the Lowndes County thing. So, you know, we're going to see if we can keep track of this Selma strike, see if we can keep track of what happened in Lowndes County, because that's an interesting story, too. Um, and, and we're going to see if we can bring you an update next week. But, you know, I, I think that this really highlights the importance of having more worker-focused news, um, you know, uh, like like the real news network. I think, you know, there's a there's a lot of there are a lot of outlets that are really really good for left-wing worker-focused analysis and commentary. I think to a large part that's kind of where we fall, where analysis and commentary occasionally, you know, we'll bring you news type stories, but but mostly we're analysis and commentary and education. But there's really really just an absence of 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 outlets who are devoted to covering workers. And I think the Real News Network does a really good job doing that on a national scale. Um, we're going to be talking to Mel Beer in overtime about a really undercovered strike in Iowa at Case New Holland. Um, so she's doing a great job over at the Real News, but we just don't have anything like that in Alabama. You know, my pie-in-the-sky dream, right, would be to expand this project into a total statewide multimedia news outlet with full-time staff dedicated to, you know, the things that we do now, lifting up worker stories, exposing misdeeds of bosses, educating working people, uh, you know, but we don't have the money for that. So donate to tvlr.fm, <laughs> tvlr.fm slash donate. And if you, but if you do value serious, I mean, seriously, that would help, but seriously also the real news does that kind of stuff at a national scale. So if you're not a supporter of the real news, I would recommend doing that. They're one of the few few places that I donate to, and it is because of because of that. Because they're one of the few outlets that will send people out to cover what working people are doing across the country. So absolutely, do, donate I, to the Valley Labor Report. Donate to the Real News News Network. I just want to second that real quick, and I also wanted to say that uh, we've seen such a decline in journalism across the country, and I think even more pronounced here in Alabama. Mm -hmm. where so few communities actually have daily newspapers anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, there's AL.com, and uh, that's certainly far from perfect, and uh, we'll get into some more of that later. But yeah, uh, there's Alabama Political Reporter that's doing a lot of work. Uh, but then you have, you know, the right-wing rags like Yellowhammer and 1819 News, and then if you're in a bigger area, you might have the TV news stations. But there's just there's just not a lot of journalism happening inside right. the state of Alabama like how do on you, these stories. How do you not give an update to a story about Lowndes County public employees going on strike? Like how do, how how does the same news outlet not give you the resolution of that story? How right. is that possible? Yeah, it seems like a bizarre. big deal. That's uh, bizarre. And Lowndes County is a is a very small population there. Uh so I'm sure everybody in Lowndes County they has some it. idea of what's going on right. and has some kind of connection to one side or the other of that strike. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally wild. Um, we've got, we have one more update, and then we're going to be going to John Glenn from the Alabama Political Reporter about a potential prison strike. But this update uh, on the, the, the UMWA Warrior Met strike down in Brookwood that I wanted to make sure that I gave y'all. A couple weeks ago, we informed you that Warrior Met was trying to make uh, the UMWA pay $13 million, $13 million uh, for, quote, damages incurred over the cost of the strike, which included lost production. <laughs> it's amazing that they even tried to, tried to pitch that. Yeah, at, that was mind-blowing that they even put that out there on the table. Totally mind-blowing. They had in this expense report um, it, costs incurred before the strike even began. Costs incurred before the strike even began for increased security and things like this. And so, you know, and, and this came about because back in June, the UMWA and Warrior Met came to a, uh, uh, they came to a, a deal, a settlement, where, in principle, the UMWA agreed to some damages, which they were quoted at $400,000 for for things that were actually damaged over the course of the strike, that had been damaged over the course of the strike. Um, uh, uh, but also, not even as much admitting guilt as, far, as much as they wanted to not subject their members and their members' family to hours of questioning by company lawyers. And that right. makes sense to me. It and, did to me, too. And, I, I get it. Yeah. I mean, it's it, on one level, it's kind of BS. They're having to pay anything at all. Um, but I understand but also the calculus there. Yeah, $400,000 and you make it go away, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things. If that maybe, saves a lot of, uh, yeah. you know. A lot of time, resources, and, and heartache, uh, you know then that's fine, and that's what the union wanted to do. But that's what they were quoted. Then Warrior Met came back and was like, actually, you know what? We think it's $13 million. Um, totally absurd. <laughs> absurd. Well, the update is that the NLRB came out with their independent estimate, Region 10 came out with their independent estimate last week, pegging it at $435,000, which was in line with the initial estimate. So uh, – the UMWA has come out and said we are ready to pay this and move forward. Um, I have not heard, uh, I have not seen if Warrior Med is going to accept that or if they are going to take it to an administrative law judge because remember, like we said last time, the next step in this process, if the parties did not agree, would be to appeal it to an administrative law judge and get a ruling there. Um, but if both parties agree on the payment, which is now... Uh, pegged at $435,000 by NLRB Region 10, they can pay it right now and move forward. So uh, that's what the union is prepared to do. We'll let you know what Warrior Met does in the coming weeks, but that is a very good, a very good update um, and a good job by the NLRB Region 10. Uh, we appreciate their independent analysis and their disagreement with the absurd request for workers to pay for lost production over the course of a strike. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Yeah. So glad to get a little bit of good news there. Um, just a reminder, you can still donate to the strike fund and to the strike pantry through UMWA. Um, really encourage folks to do that. If you haven't done that in a while, these folks have been out on strike since April 1st, 2021. And right now, there's no real updates as far as I know on terms of the contract itself. Uh, last updates we received is that Warrior Met was pushing 
the union to agree that several, a few dozen of its members would be terminated yeah. as part of settling this strike. Uh, wouldn't say which ones, wouldn't say why, you know, what they did, mm-hmm. which is just also completely absurd because, you know, I presume I haven't looked at their contract, but presumably it's like any other where there is a process to terminate employees uh, that's already in place. And right. so if Warrior Met has some evidence that some people did something wrong that rises to the level of termination, one, let them go through the process. But to try to strong arm the union into sacrificing a few dozen of their members uh, before even getting a, a contract is just incredibly damaging uh, to morale, I would imagine, but also mm-hmm. just uh, just a, a, an egregious practice, a bad faith practice on part of the of company, course, which is no course. surprise. No surprise. Yeah. Um, so next up, you know, Selma workers, mine workers, Lowndes County workers, they're not the only Alabamians that are going on strike or considering using the strike weapon. Incarcerated workers in Alabama are as well. John Glenn wrote a report about this potential prison strike in Alabama for the Alabama political reporter. And he joins us now to talk about that. John, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Absolutely. So before we get into the potential prison strike, can you expand on some of the conditions that these workers, these prisoners are running up against right now in Alabama prisons? Of course, um, but it, it's the same conditions that incarcerated individuals and and folks aware of the situation within Alabama's correctional system. I have been speaking about for years now, and that being the increasing violence between incarcerated individuals, the inhumane and unconstitutional treatment by correctional staff, the rampant narcotic use that the ADOC is presently incapable of preventing, the deterioration of physical prison structures, meaning the, the overcrowding, the, the actual buildings that these folks are housed in, um, and again, the death on a scale a, that the majority of individuals in the state seem really not to fully grasp. Um, I mean, it's important to note that these individuals inside the prison are striking due to these general conditions on top of the working conditions that they face. Um, and, and something that I've, I've heard for, uh, in conversations with folks is that this, this lack of, of, of proper incentives to rehabilitate themselves and better themselves while in prison, which is, is the point, um, is it, it's, that's the primary reason that this uh, general strike or this, this, this strike within the prisons and this um, protest, this sit down and, and protest outside of the prison are happening. Um, I mean, when you speak directly about the working conditions uh, for those who have jobs uh, in prisons, I mean, they are practically the same as the ones uh, that they face outside of the work environment. And, you know, think about these prisons. They don't have air conditioning. Um, These work areas are dangerous. Most facilities have rodents or some sort of infestation. Um, They lack correctional, correctional staff at a level that is is I haven't seen and I doubt that other people have seen in recent years. And and so these these are the conditions that they're facing. Um, and it's it's the reasoning behind, at least in conversations with folks that um, I've spoken with uh, behind going forward this strike. 
Yeah, and and like I mentioned when we spoke to Eddie Burkhalter, formerly with the Alabama Political Reporter and the Aniston Star, currently with Alabama Appleseed, um, you know, these 90-some-odd percent of people in Alabama prisons are going to be reintroduced to the public. And and not only is that is that a fact of the matter, that is what most people would want. Most people do not want people locked in cages for the rest of their lives, even for some violent crimes. You beat somebody up. Even you shoot somebody in the leg, you rob somebody. Nobody thinks... Nobody thinks that even even these things that that are violent and and despicable and and certainly we should condemn them and and we should we should you know encourage people not to do them where right? you shouldn't shoot people, um, but even these things we don't want people locked up for the rest of their lives, uh, so that's a fact of the matter. That's what the people want, and so the question is, what are our prisons going to look like? Are they going to actually be facilities for rehabilitation and reintroduction into society? Or are they going to be um, places where abuse happens, places where people are functionally tortured, places where people are raped, places where people get addicted to drugs, get involved in gang activities? Um, and the fact of the matter is that these things are all more representative of the, the of the reality of Alabama prisons than the ideal of them being places for rehabilitation. Is I mean is is that is that an accurate uh, summary in in your opinion, John? Um, I mean yes, yes, more or less. Um, I mean I understand that like um, in my in my work with this particular. Uh, beat that I cover, which I've only been covering since since basically I did left APR. Um, it's 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 amazing to me to to see how how horrible it is the conditions within these prisons, and then like the lack of response that you have um, outside of uh, of the prisons. Um, I mean, it's it's I mean, the word being thrown around is sadistic. It, it can be considered sadistic. Um, what these incarcerated individuals are experiencing and and how powers that be are are allowing these conditions to um to persist what kind of work do these incarcerated workers do well it's everything from working in the kitchens to maintenance to running the stores to cutting the grass to cutting people's hair to um, I guess more cliched stuff that we assume um, incarcerated folks uh, just do in prisons being that, you know, manufacturing of license plates, um, furniture. There's also, uh, I, I believe at the, the women's facility, uh, they have, they uh, make clothing and things of that nature. I mean, these, with the, the jobs inside of the prisons, again, like working in the kitchen, maintenance, um, those are highly essential jobs that, Without these incarcerated individuals, um, the ADSC couldn't get done, you know, and um, they, they lack the correctional staff uh, to, to staff those particular jobs in the event that uh, folks walk away from um, their, uh, their jobs on Monday, which is supposed to be the, the beginning of this, uh, this strike, if it is to happen. So um, it, it, that's, that's kind of the scope of, of what they do. It's not limited to that, but that's that's more or less uh, some of the examples of what they do in prison. 
And this isn't the first time that incarcerated workers in Alabama prisons have gone on strike. We actually spoke about one a couple of years ago and the very beginning of the program. Um, and, and can you tell us how have the um, what has the success been in these former prison strikes? I think at one point there I read an article from 2016 or 2017 that said that alleged that some of the correction staff actually joined the prisoners in these strikes, uh, or, or in, in one of these strikes back in 2016, 2017. I, I haven't been able to confirm that. But um, what has, has there been any success, if, if any, and um, what have been the ramifications for, for workers, for prisoners, for, for, for incarcerated workers that have gone on strike in the past? Um, well, if those strikes were successful, I, I don't believe it's been seen yet because um, uh, one of the consistent things that they have been processing is um, the, um, I believe it is, it's within the Alabama Constitution. It's the section that mirrors the 13th Amendment, which of course um, it, it outlaws slavery, indentured servitude, except in cases of um, working, uh, of people that are, are that this servitude is a punishment for a crime. Um, it, those things still exist and the, the conditions still exist. If they have been successful, I, I don't think we've seen the fruits of that success yet. Um, but you mentioned about the, um, the ramifications that some individuals may, uh, may face if they go on strike on Monday um, based on, you know, the previous uh, reactions from the ADOC, from correctional staff, um, they've faced everything from alleged denying of meals or delaying of meals to being locked into segregated cells, which are otherwise, that's solitary confinement uh, in layman term uh, for years. This, this was the case of Robert Earl, who's one of the better known prison organizers um, who, helped that, uh, who helped begin that worker strike in 2016. It began on May Day of 2016. Uh, it was the largest in U.S. history, um, and during that particular strike, as well as those that have happened after that, you have instances of threats of excessive violence from correctional staff or actual instances of excessive violence from correctional staff, uh, which is commonplace enough in Alabama's correctional system. Um, I mean, most recent example from January of 2021 um, as reported in the Montgomery Advertiser, there was a hunger strike that happened among uh, incarcerated individuals at Kilby. Uh, and at least one of those individuals alleges that he was beaten as a result of that um, participation in the hunger strike at Kilby by a correctional guard. Um, and in conversations with folks that I've had, it seems that the retaliation for this current organizing effort is, is happening as we speak. Um, I, I was speaking to one of the uh, folks organizing the protest that's happening in, in uh, conjunction with the beginning of the strike on Monday. It's supposed to happen outside of the ADOC building Monday morning. Um, it, one of the organizers was speaking to me and said that her husband, who is an incarcerated individual inside of um, uh, a state prison, uh, was locked into solitary confinement. Uh, somewhat recently in an act of apparent retaliation for her efforts outside organizing this protest. So it, it, it affects people inside um, and outside. And um, it's, yeah, so that's basically it. Is, 
is it um you know I, I think I think I know the answer to this uh but is it is it legal for the uh for the corrections facility to to throw people in solitary confinement for uh for protesting is it legal for them to to beat them um well I I, I can't strictly speak to the legality of things I'm, I'm not a lawyer I have a very peripheral knowledge of of the the norms and the regulations of what uh, correctional officers are allowed to do and but I will say I mean things like denial of meals is directly illegal that's a violation of, of statutes mandating that you have to feed individuals in prison um, the First Amendment protects incarcerated individuals' right to, to speech in a certain sense. It's, it's limited, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, correspondence and things. Um, and and in those Supreme Court precedents, essentially what it is, it's, it's, it's instances where the integrity of the correctional facility could be compromised by free speech uh, by these uh, incarcerated individuals. And so that's how it's limited. Um, I will, but things like communications uh, to the outside world, particularly of a legal matter, are protected, I believe. Again, I, I can only speak to this as someone who, um, who covers this. I'm, I'm not a lawyer in any way, shape, or form. Um, I, I was hearing from an individual at Limestone Correctional Facility who was speaking to me about the, the organizing efforts up there and said that uh, the warden apparently and I, I can't get this confirmed, but apparently has, has threatened to take away their um, their tablets. They have these state-issued tablets where they can download music, uh, play apps. It's just a normal like iPad-looking thing. And um, that's also a way for them to communicate with individuals outside, right? They have an email service on there that they use. And so there, there might be an argument that something like taking away those tablets would be considered unconstitutional since, you know, a certain amount of their communication is protected, but I, I, I can't speak as, as an expert on that particular instance. Um, something else that he was telling me was that um, apparently they, that there is uh, some talks that the warden may delay their child time or, um, or, or take away their meals, which is a violation. But it's also, it's important to note that the, the individuals working in those kitchens are incarcerated folks themselves. And so if they go on strike, it's obvious that there won't be food simply because um, those folks who would prepare that food are, they're, they're, on, they're not working, they're on strike. Um, right. I, I th and I think he was mentioning to, some, um, to me, uh, this was somewhat recently, he, he said that they've started um, making, uh, uh, sandwiches in preparation for folks walking away from the kitchen, and so the, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining there's there's food stockpiled. But I again can't speak to that all unconfirmed. But it's just what I've been told by by individuals who spoke with me. And have any officers, to your knowledge, faced any discipline uh, for their alleged role in any of this retaliation? I'm I'm sure that it's happened in the past uh, for instances of just blatantly egregious acts that uh, simply can't go unnoticed by the powers that be. But um, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not aware, frankly, and that just is it's a product of, of, um, of me only covering this for so long. I, I was not in media um, in this state, at least in 2018, when the, the latest uh, strike happened uh, at this scale. 
Um, but uh, I mean, the most recent example I mentioned from uh, 2021, where the, the fellow at Kilby was allegedly beaten by correctional staff for his role in the hunger strike that was happening there. Um, I remember reading that a, a spokesman for the ADSC told the Montgomery Advertiser that um, there was an investigation ongoing, whether or not that individual um, was reprimanded, suspended. Um, I, I have no knowledge of that. Um, I'm sure it's happened, but again, I, I have I have no knowledge of that. So, you know, I think this is some pretty good groundwork that we've set. Coming to the present, in your article on Wednesday, you mentioned that the cohesiveness uh, of, of this organization that's going to be, um, that's, that's pushing the strike that you said is supposed to happen on Monday now, um, that remains to be seen. Have you been able to, since Wednesday, figure out the seriousness of, of this strike threat? Does it, does it seem to be reasonable to assume that this is going to go forward on Monday? It, yes, at this moment, it seems reasonable um, in conversations, again, that I've, I've had with individuals since Wednesday, that this is going to happen uh, starting on uh, midnight Monday. And the, um, the, the incohesiveness that I was mentioning in that particular article was based on, on a couple of conversations that I had uh, where people would be talking about the different agendas that, that came up uh, usually around social media groups, prison advocacy groups and things like that, um, that include things that aren't on the official list of, of demands. And it's also important to note, again, that they haven't been officially released yet. They are most likely still working on their final codified list of, of demands, list agendas. Um, but different things like, um, I remember seeing that uh, uh, one that had the repeal of the drive-by statutes um, and um, a, a more streamlined process of, um, of uh, for furloughs, medical furloughs, uh, and review of elderly folks that are in uh, our correctional facilities. Um, so it's it it's it's not like these demands aren't necessarily inconsistent with the the ones that I have already been told about um, the ones that I've been able to see they're just increasing the scope of things and it and appears at least that the the organizing folks again from conversations that I have are, are trying to, to limit it to a, a more direct and um, and and um, how would one say they're essentially trying like they have their, their list of agenda yeah yeah, that way that when it does come time to negotiate and discuss these things, it's it's obvious that their side of things um, isn't illogical and it isn't uh, it's right. not it's it's rational because basically what again they're arguing for is more humane and constitutional treatment within the prisons. I mean, they're, they're that's that's the base of this and. Um, the, have you have you seen any response from lawmakers or people within the ADOC to these um, to these plans? Have you seen any indication that the, the people with the power to meet these demands are, are moving towards uh, what the prisoners are asking for? Um, I haven't. I haven't personally. I have no idea if, uh, if anyone, um, particularly in the Alabama state legislature, is even aware of this or has any plans to act on on this because. It's also, again, most of what they're asking for is, is repealing of, of certain laws, be they the Habitual Offender Act, 
Um, and that, that would have to take place in, in the state legislature. There's, there's only so much the ADOC can do with that. And um, whether or not the ADOC is either taking this seriously or is aware of this also remains to be seen. But I'm, I'm sure that, that they've, they are somewhat aware of this at, at the present moment. But um, I, I haven't seen any, indi any indication of, of movement by the powers that be, frankly, at the moment. But um, we'll have to see Monday, which is, um, again, that's when, when it's supposed to happen. John Glenn, reporter at the Alabama Political Reporter. We appreciate your time on this. Uh, this is a very interesting, important thing that folks in Alabama are going through. Thanks. Of course. Thank you. All right, folks, we appreciate, uh, you, we appreciate you listening. We are going to go to a break, and then we're going to come back and talk about uh, some local North Alabama Huntsville news. So you're not going to want to go anywhere. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. We have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about our work advocating for customers and join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at iamaw44.org. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, 
and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Um, we've got some good, uh, we've got some good stuff. We've got, um, we've got David pointed out in the chat, in the YouTube chat, that you can donate through YouTube as well. You can donate through YouTube as well now. I just, um, I just set that up last week. So that is a new feature. We've got Super Chats enabled. Uh, Strom McCallum sends a Super Chat. Solidarity from South Carolina. William Pinas sends uh, he Teamster from, uh, Teamster from uh, California. That's where he's from. Uh, sends us $2 as well. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so we appreciate everybody hanging out in the chat. Jeb is here. Infinite Content is here. We've got Jared. And, Jared, I saw your message telling the guest uh, that you appreciate his NASA hat as a NASA union member. But um, I, I, I just uh, forgot about it while I was... <laughs> While I was talking to, to him. So well, um, we've had a lot going on this morning. We've had a lot going on. <laughs> a lot of gremlins. A lot Absolutely. of gremlins in it's the. A, it's uh, a miracle we've pulled off as much as we have. Honestly, I feel I feel pretty good about uh, where we're at. Uh, what what we've been able to pull off with all these gremlins in the in in the stuff um, in the lines. Very we, thankful to Ben from Spice Radio. He's doing a great if it job. Ben, we would not be on the air today. Yeah. 
uh, Mel, Joe, and James in the Facebook chat. We appreciate y'all joining us as well. James, as one of the striking miners in Brookwood, I want to say I appreciate all y'all do. Love the show. Thank you very much, James. Uh, there is no higher compliment. <clears throat> no higher compliment than, uh, than a compliment from a striking coal miner in Alabama. Uh, that's... That's basically who we do the thing for, Alabama workers, so we appreciate it. Um, so we wanted to talk about in the last 10 minutes of this show that, um, you know, we had a school board race come to a conclusion last week. Adam, what were your, what, you know, what, what was, what's, what's your take? What's your take about, about the school board? Sure. Uh, so if you've been listening lately, you know we've been covering uh, the Huntsville City elections, the first round was in August, August 23rd, and uh, we just had a runoff Tuesday, September 20th. Uh, we did uh, interview the winning candidate, Andrea Alvarez, and also did a segment, I believe last week, week before, uh, doing a little deep dive on Angela McClure, who was the uh, completely bonkers right-wing candidate for that position. Uh, so the final results, I'll just give you the city council. David Little won 63% in District 2 city council runoff to Bill Yell's 37%. Uh, Yell positioned himself as the conservative candidate. So uh, interestingly enough, Andrea Alvarez also won 37% to 63%. So Andrea Alvarez uh, and David Little both getting 63% of the vote in the runoff. Uh, both of those would have been the less reactionary candidates. I don't want to go so far as to call them the progressive candidates uh, because I don't necessarily think either of those would would embrace that label. Uh, but that's interesting uh, in local turnout that, you know, the, the progressive community was able to defeat uh, the far right candidates trying to take over local government. And in the school board race, it did get pretty pretty ugly, uh, especially towards the end. Uh, Angela McClure, who, as we reported on, is completely bonkers and is a right-wing extremist who is connected to Casey Wardensky, uh, reportedly connected to the Mo Brooks family as well. She got a lot of outside help there at the end. Uh, Republican PACs were sending out text blasts. They had set up some fishy website that looked as if it was a school district website. It really wasn't. Um, they got really, you know, down and dirty with some of their campaigning at the end. And the thing is, uh, and I believe Andrea would, would agree with me here that the rhetoric coming from the far right in this little school board race for Huntsville city schools really helped win the seat for Andrea Alvarez, uh, because there were plenty of people who are non-political or who are themselves Republican who were so turned off by a, the craziness, and B, the right-wing extremism of the Angela McClure campaign. And that's something that I think has been lost in a little bit of the reporting after the election from AL.com. And interestingly enough, I think the, the big piece from, uh, I believe her name is Rebecca Griesbach, she wrote an article the day after the election and it's gotten a lot of traction in right-wing media. Uh, Jacob forced me to listen to a little bit of Dale Jackson and Jeff Poor uh, and some other uh, right-wing dude. 
where they were ranting and raving about this article. And I actually have objections to the article, but from a very different point of view. Uh, Yeah, well, you know, Adam, the funny thing, and I've got this graphic up on the screen now, the, the, the coverage is just so... It's it's total. It's divorced from what's going on on the ground, um, what went on on the ground, because you know. And it's funny they changed the headline because yes, the, they did the it initial. Was a, <laughs> the in- it was such cheap clickbait. Yeah, let me see if I can pull up what was the initial headline. Let me see if I can find that. It was. Um, it was, let's see, Alvarez wins bitter Huntsville school board race, semicolon, compared Republicans to parasites. Wow, that's an interesting title. Now the title is bitter Huntsville school board race decided in a runoff election. That's much more. Yeah, they've toned it down a lot. Uh... <laughs> but but the quote is still, the quote is still there. And the quote, you know, is, is you know, it, it just quoting that, it makes it sound maybe more salacious than it is, but I'll read it to you. Um, quote, it's highly strange, unquote, Alvarez said of McClure's campaign shortly before Election Day. It is definitely for political gain. It is definitely for the Republicans to parasite off of our school board, off of our school board election to make them look good so they, quote, gain a seat, I guess. And that is why they are trying to make it so partisan. And then Greasebot goes on to note that North Alabama voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump in the general election, but in Huntsville, the margin was much narrower, according to election data. So Greasebot is not only quoting this, she not only had the article, but then she's adding this context to try to make it like McClure, or trying to make it like Alvarez, is saying that rank-and-file Republicans are parasites when clearly, clearly what is being said is that apparatchiks of the Republican Party are trying to parasite off of the school board race, which is nonpartisan, which is generally divorced from these national political issues, but they're trying to make use of the national political climate against teachers, against public education, uh, to gain a seat and get a Republican, a a Republican uh, 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 apparatchik in the seat. And, and it's clear that that's what Alvarez is saying, but the, the quoting that without that context, adding the additional context to try to, 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 to put in that narrative about Alvarez and the initial headline, it's just absurd. And then, of course, you know, you've got Dale going on that this is acting like that's the thing, acting like that is, that is actually true. Right. It was a complete distortion of reality, what we heard on right wing radio, um, because, first of all, they portray it as if Alvarez called Republicans parasites. She did not. Uh, and, and they also uh, pretended as if it was Alvarez and or the Democrats who they associate together falsely, uh, as if it was they who politicized the school board race, and that is not true. And um, they also want to portray it as if Alvarez was like a, you know, some sort of Manchurian candidate for the left, that she was hiding her true progressive credentials during the election. And AL.com was in the tank for her by waiting until Wednesday after the election to publish, you know, her true thoughts, all of which is total BS. And, And it's, you know, pretty sad that folks will listen to that and get a completely distorted picture 
of the Huntsville School Board election. And it, it, it's frustrating as well that, you know, AO.com, frankly, didn't do a, a, a lot better. Uh, it's better, but not not complete. You know, she missed the mark a little bit, I think. Uh, the, the clickbait headline was a big problem right off the bat. They've since changed that a little bit. Uh, but in the text of that article, what stood out to me is there's no mention that Angela McClure is, was one of, one, one of three candidates, one of three right-wing extremists, a part of a slate that was running for every school board seat. There's no mention that she was backed by Casey Wardinsky, you know, the former superintendent of Huntsville City Schools, uh, who's still a lightning rod for Huntsville City Schools discussions, who was a failed congressional candidate just a couple of months ago, the same election in which Angela McClure ran for state house and was trounced there as well. There's no mention of McClure's possible connections to the Mo Brooks family or, or the rest of this like far-right infrastructure, which frankly would have proven the author's point uh, that she was trying to... She was, it seemed to me she was trying to make the point that it was the, the far-right flank of the Republican Party was politicizing these local school board elections. And she quotes a few academics to support that. Uh, but frankly, her case would have been a lot stronger had she, she included some of these really big details about um, not just the, the theoretical aspect of it, but how it was put into practice right here in Huntsville. Um, yeah, and, and AL.com did a follow-up article that I've got on the screen now um, where they quote, um, they quote city council person, right wing city council person, uh, Jenny Robinson. And, uh, and, and then they also quote McClure saying that, quote, they brought politics. McClure, the right wing weirdo saying they brought politics into the schools. They brought wokeism into the schools and we know it and we see it as parents without, and there's nothing in this follow-up article about the objective reality that it is McClure and this other slate of Wardinsky-backed people who are bringing the the partisan nature. They're right. the ones that are doing this partisan thing. Right. Alvarez wanted to talk about teacher retention, community partnerships, uh, transparency of the school board, and McClure and these other folks wanted to talk about whatever the hot-button issues of the day or of the week were on Newsmax and Breitbart and Fox News. You know, they wanted to talk about uh, pronouns, and, and I couldn't help but laugh when, uh, you know, Angela McClure proclaimed they were going to stop pronouns in Huntsville City Schools. Um, you know, the teacher and me couldn't help but laugh that, uh, obviously, that's not going to help your English proficiency. Right. Uh Coming next, adverbs. Watch out, children. Um, you know, yeah, but it was it was a lot of false equivalents in that AO.com article because I think it really undersells the extent to which McClure herself was a completely um, bonkers person who right. is not fit for public office. And if you listen to the segment I did a couple weeks ago, you would understand why. And believe me when I tell you that was the sanitized for radio version yeah um there was a lot there that i could have said that i didn't say for fear of you know getting too far ahead of myself but anyone who paid any attention to that campaign could see that is not a person fit to be a substitute teacher much less a school board candidate and that's where we're going to leave it off with the radio, folks. If you enjoy what you hear, you can find us online for a whole second half of the program that we call Overtime, where we're going to be talking about 
anime union busting. We're going to be talking about union busters shaking in their boots about the new labor upsurge with a labor reporter from the Washington, uh, from the Huffington Post. We're going to be talking about some September labor history, and we'll be talking to new associate editor of The Real News, I forgot to mention that, Mel Ooh. Buer, about the case New Holland strike. So folks, stay tuned. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. All power to the workers.